This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast with the full ride on Sunday evening, as we do every week. Matt Green down there in Decula, Georgia. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. Good to be back. How are you doing on this lovely Sunday evening? Well, the Falcons lost and look putrid offensively again. That's what Falcons fans want, though, right? Eh, they're they're not going to be bad enough to really really be good enough mm. to. And there's too much talent on this team. That's that's a that's a rant for another day. Um, no, it's not what I want. I never enjoy losing to the New Orleans Saints, but um. Also, Tennessee, uh, it, it was, it's just a bad weekend uh, across hey, the I'll board. be honest, my, uh, I, sh- I say my Detroit Lions got a dub this week, mm. though. So that, that's what I'm happy for. No, I'm a, Stafford is my allegiance. You know, he's the only Georgia quarterback starting in the NFL. So I, I pull for the Lions every week. I don't know. People that are legit Lions fans, like, I don't know how they do it. Like, th- this team, like, every single one of their games comes down to the wire. It's like, but they're the Lions, so they find ways to lose, you know? it's It'd be painful if I actually cared the other six days a week about the Lions. I think it's just, um, I think there is something to, it's like the Knicks fans thing, where there's something actually kind of nice about being a fan of just an always just abysmal, terrible team. There's something about it where like that when it finally happens and you finally win, it's going to it's going to mean more. It's definitely going to mean a lot. I um I can't imagine Detroit ever winning anything, honestly, at this, <laughs> at this point. Who knows? I, I swear I stand by it like Stafford is le- a legit franchise quarterback. I feel like if he could have just gone to any other franchise like he could have had a Super Bowl. It's unfortunate for him, but he's a he's a gamer. Fourth straight game he's played with a like a torn ligament in his throwing hand. He's a he's a gamer, man. He is a gamer. But that's my that's my Stafford rant for the for the day. <laughs> um, what did you uh, what did you watch this weekend, Matt? How did you divide up your time? I feel like we had a uh, we had a solid slate. Uh, I had Friday night that a uh, sneaky good game with uh, the Raging Cajuns in App State, mm. and then um, yeah, there's some good games. You know, you had. The Florida game at 3.30, you know, uh, Auburn A&M was a good one at, at noon. I mean, Ohio State, you had, to, you had to check on that just to watch and see what Ohio State was up to. But that was never really a game. But um, I don't know which ones which ones took your took your interest. Well, as a big Pac-12 guy, that's that's where I started. Um, Pac-12, that's, that's your jam? Yeah, that was uh, that was where my focus lies. And you, you're not going to believe this, but uh, LSU Alabama did not hold my attention. Um, last night or this morning matt um i had enough sec football after the tennessee game which you messaged me on instagram during this game wondering because tennessee went up 10 to 7 like mm, 
upset and i was like uh, <laughs> I, I don't think you've watched a tennessee second half before this this is over like they're they're not winning this football game and then the score was obviously deceiving because of the the garbage time two drives by jt shroud who was playing with like a torn labrum in his shoulder and one of three quarterbacks who appeared in this game for tennessee um but yeah no it uh it was good um good pac-12 stuff good big 10 stuff um I am going to probably rant about Indiana, unfortunately, at some point in this podcast, because as a pro Iowa anti Indiana being good guy now, it uh, it brings me no joy to to move my allegiance in the Big Ten away from Indiana being actually good and more towards Iowa being actually good for putting on a better brand and more more enjoyable Big Ten mediocre football. Yeah, you talk about a game I you I, you could not get into Indiana Wisconsin man. Like I wanted to I wanted to be interested in this game. I was like, this is terrible. I can't I can't watch this. Maybe this is how people feel about watching a uh, Georgia at times. But um, mm-hmm. oh man, without without Michael Penix Jr., they're just. I mean, they, I got to give them credit. Obviously, they played good defense, but um, I mean, it's just it was not a fun team to watch by any means. No, no, not at all. Um. Where are we at picks wise? Because we had to miss this week um, for the the pickem this weekend. Also, it's just getting annoying um, that uh, our pickem is going to have to keep changing on the fly because of these cancellations and movements. And then game of the week came late, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, we're we're just trying to fight and survive. To it was to, unfortunate to that uh, we we didn't get uh, on the record for the picks this week, but um, but so far on the season, we're I'm. 49 54 and one against the spread and you are 54 49 and one against the spread so you got a little bit lead there but then overall i am 65 and 39 and you are 60 and 44 so you got a five game lead against the spread i got a five game lead overall so you know it's a uh, and that seems about right when i look at my uh my pick them every week you know i <laughs> those spreads are tough man it's like i i feel like i'm doing well in a week and then you know every week it seems like i lose one more than i win but uh, who was this his home dog of the week we didn't get to see him on social who was his home dog of the week i'm just gonna say that zeus's home dog of the week was coastal carolina mm. he uh he, he believed in the chanticleers you know he just uh, BYU just two days to prepare coming across the east coast you know he thought that jet lag might uh might be a factor and you know Zeus was all over that I was like you know Zeus BYU they got a Heisman candidate quarterback here I, I don't see it happening but he was he was a believer mm. well a lot of college football coaching news are are swirling uh, at the moment um and it actually doesn't involve Knoxville at the as we're recording um Shane Beamer who I believe I predicted what happened on this podcast and I was touting that Shane Beamer is the more realistic South Carolina choice um, for a little while now, right? That uh, Shane Beamer could put together a staff and that like South Carolina needed to target someone who wanted to be there, who would not view it as a stepping stone job and just not do the boring thing of just hiring another ex saving guy. Um, I don't know. I think uh, this is, the ultimate boomer bust type thing where he's either going to put together a Orgeron just mammoth, uh, monolith, whatever, um, staff, because that's what ultimately this is all going to come down to is what kind of staff Shane Beamer puts, 
um, around him because he's never, I believe, been a coordinator <laughs> on either side of the ball to this point in his career. But if he can be a good CEO and get the right guys in there, and he's been the assistant head coach at Oklahoma where he's got to learn from one of the best and he's bounced around. I think he was with Kirby for a little bit a couple years ago too. So yeah, he coached tight ends and special teams at Georgia. So he, I think he was there for, I think two years. Mm. So he's kind of bounced around a little bit, but yeah, I know he's at South Carolina a little, uh, for a few years under, under Spurrier. So, you know, that's a, those are some good, some good coaches to learn from with Kirby, uh, Spurrier and, and Lincoln Riley. So yeah, you were definitely. I'll give you your your, uh, your credit. You were you were calling Shane Beamer before before I heard many people calling him. I look. We never know how any of these are going to go. So just being like, oh, bang higher, great stuff. It's like, oh, I don't know, maybe. Um, a lot of it will come down, as I said, to the staff that he assembles in Columbia. I'm interested to see who he pulls and who he can get and what kind of budget he'll have to pull guys because they did use a lot of money to get must champ out of there um so i'm interested to see who stays on i'm sure connor shaw will be part of this uh program to keep uh old the lifer yeah well it's also to keep gunner happy i don't know if i agree with you that it's like a boom or bust thing though i I think think it either goes really really badly i think he either it's just like oh yeah this guy is not a head coach and he cannot uh he cannot do it and he he just puts together kind of weak staff and then they just go two and ten, like the bottom really falls out. Or it's just yeah, like, that's definitely true. We we do we have no idea what the floor is and no yes. idea what the ceiling is. Really, yeah, that's all. Other than the fact that it's South Carolina and the ceiling seems to be about nine or ten wins. Like, yeah. I don't really know what else you expect from him. But but yeah, I feel like it's it's a good idea to get a young guy in there. And you know, we talked about his track record, and obviously. I think being Frank Beamer's son, I'm sure, plays a role into this guy getting a job uh, without ever being a coordinator. So it's interesting. I um I'd probably want to see him at least with a few years as a coordinator, or at least you know coaching head coach at a small place or something like that. But uh, they're they're rolling the dice, taking a chance on him. And I, I guess it sounds like all like the former players and people at South Carolina have like raved about him and everything. So if nothing else, it just looks good. Like it looks like nationally. You didn't sit back and like, oh, let's see who all the best people available are. Like, it looks like you went out and got the guy you wanted, whether that's true, whether you wanted Scott Satterfield and he didn't want you, you know, it it, because of how that Tennessee uh, search just dragged on when they finally got Pruitt. It's like it kind of that the search created like a bad narrative about like the tenure going in, you know. And so this at least looks like, oh, we very early made the decision. We got a guy we're confident in. He wants us. We want him. Boom. You know, so maybe, maybe South Carolina found their guy. Who knows? We'll see. It's just going to be hard. That's a tough job and that's a tough division now. And, um, I don't know. I think it will be interesting at the very least. It's not a retread. You get tired of the retreads. It's an interesting possibility there, which is all we can really root for there. Um, speaking of, um, possibilities that, uh, need to unfold. Um, out there in Lexington, the uh, Kentucky Wildcats dismissed their OC and quarterbacks coach um, over the weekend. Kentucky's offense, it's no secret, has been terrible for two years now. Um, Stoops is overachieving at Kentucky, but it's just the offense has just been too bad. And last year wasn't really their fault with so many quarterbacks going down and just not having another option there. But it's back to back years of really anemic offense with some really elite 
defense and uh they got to get somebody else in there and i think stoop still has a good thing going and i'm i'm interested to see what offensive direction they go because i i don't know it kind of reminds me of where georgia was um with coley and that guy where it's just like maybe stoops doesn't want to air it out and hire him honking type but he might not have a choice if he wants to keep uh kentucky fans happy over the next couple years but i am fascinated to see what offensive philosophy they target to to replace these guys yeah i uh, i know georgia fans are getting satisfaction out of this because there was a whole like it was like a whole like like a low-key little i don't even know what you call it like spat mm-hmm. um with eddie grant a couple years ago saying he turned down the georgia oc job in, to stay at kentucky and then people were like oh he was never offered the Georgia OC job. I don't know. It became such like a pissing contest. And so Georgia fans like, oh, yeah, look, this is the guy. I guess he uh, he turned down Georgia, right? Now he's getting fired from Kentucky. I don't I don't know what the case was with that. But Kentucky's currently 106 in the country, averaging 21 points a game. Like, that's just – that's awful by, by any standards. And, yeah, I mean, I'm sure – it's interesting how we – I feel like we pigeonhole these, like, defensive coaches. Like, every defensive coach – wants to play like the Chicago bears or something like Mm. just two yards in a cloud of dust. Like I feel like Mark Stoops has, has a, has shown that he's been a pretty good coach at Kentucky. So their defense has been like, you know, not great, but it's part, part of it is that the offense has just been so terrible. Like the defense has been solid at times and they're like leading the league in uh in interceptions, I think this year. Mm. And so I, I, I could definitely see, I think, you know, you gotta, you gotta adapt and, I feel like I don't know. I don't know who they exactly Jamie Chadwell's got on that staff or Coastal Carolina, but someone in the SEC and the major college football are going to start to run that that modern day triple option thing they got going on. I'm I'm sure of it. So who knows? They they gotta when you're at somewhere like Kentucky, it's like kind of we said with the Vanderbilt uh, opening. You gotta try to do something different. I feel like that was the whole air raid and everything they they had going with with Hal Mummy and uh, and Mike Leach back mm-hmm. in the early late nineties, early two thousands. It's like, it seems like somewhere like Kentucky, you're not going to be able to just like, even though they have been good on defense and running the ball, like being physical, it's just, that just doesn't seem like a sustainable way for Kentucky to play. Like maybe I'm just, I'm just, you know, believing in what I've always like historically, what Kentucky football is. And maybe they have taken a a step forward, but it seems like to play that way, you got to get the elite, linemen out there and you got to recruit a league and that's just something kentucky doesn't do yeah it's like you gotta they got to get back to doing something creative offensively i agree um and it might just be a matter of getting a good quarterback in there honestly like with lynn bowden and now i feel like he just hasn't progressed like we thought and you know maybe you could just get a recruit better and get a better quarterback It it could change their offense a little bit we shall see. Um, South Alabama has an opening now. And T. Martin from the area, very popular there. And uh, Trey Wallace, friend of the pod, um, reporting that uh, that is a name to watch. So T. Martin um, maybe looking at that South Alabama job. That uh, kind of interesting. But that would be a big loss recruiting-wise, which Tennessee's already uh, starting to see some free fall on the recruiting front um, during this skid. So that is something to monitor there. Um, the last new news and nuggets that I wanted to mention before we get into this weekend's games. Um, 
Jim Harbaugh is <laughs> targeting NFL openings uh, by any report. And uh, I don't know. Jason Kirk of Moon Crew uh, quote tweeted uh, that report was like, don't let the Falcons see this or don't let Arthur Blank see this. And um, I don't know. I, I, I thought back and forth as to whether or not I would like to see Harbaugh roaming the sidelines in Atlanta, but um, I wouldn't hate it uh i don't know it a lot of it's going to come down to who they actually hired you, to replace dimitrov you wouldn't hate jim harbaugh coaching the falcons jim harbaugh is a is a great coach and i i think he's uh... he's better than dan quinn he is a better head coach than mike smith he's the best head coach the falcons would have had since dan Reeves. That, that's not the standard though they're trying to obviously they're, they're hoping the guy that's the that's the the floor is that they're better than those guys though right well one like... of those guys went to the super bowl of course, but um, I wouldn't hate it. It wouldn't I don't bother me. I, I, it would not. I think Atlanta fans wouldn't like it. I, I don't think it would go over well with the fan base. But I would not be like, oh, what are we doing? Um, I would not hate it. But I also just don't think Blank seems like a Harbaugh guy. So I, I don't think that will like happen. They- it seemed like they talked about him like when he took the Michigan job mm. that. A lot of people thought he was going to do better in college because guys are only there for four years. Because mm. it made it sound like in, the, uh, when he's in San Francisco, the longer people got to know him, like the more irritated they would get yeah. by him. And kind of just like he kind of rubbed people the wrong way after a while. So I don't know. I just we'll, – we'll see. He definitely had a lot of success. There's, there's worse coaches that have gotten second uh, shots at NFL jobs. So – I don't know. He was definitely a, a good coach for San Francisco, but I, I would, I was surprised to hear you say you would like him in Atlanta. It wouldn't bother me. I wouldn't be jumping up and down, but it just wouldn't. It wouldn't be like, oh, what are we doing? Um, I think ultimately the the job he should he should be targeting is um, uh, Los Angeles. I think the Chargers' job with Justin Herbert and that group and going back to California, I think, uh, would be a a nice match there. Would be would be my guy. That would be my target um, if I'm Jim Harbaugh. I'm putting out feelers there. Um, all right. Well, do you have any other news items that you wanted to touch on before we get into this weekend's games? Now let's uh, let's get into it, man. All right. Where are we going first, Matt Green? Starting off, um, I feel like the the game kind of the best storyline of the weekend. It's got to be Coastal Carolina, right? Mm. I mean, that was a. Uh, I've never, I've never been like that, just like hooked on a on a Sun Belt Conference game. I'll, I'll, I won't lie to you. Like on ESPNU, I don't remember the last time I I had to like look up what channel ESPNU was. You know, I was like, shit. I've I don't remember the last time I watched like a legitimate <laughs> game on this channel. But um, I I respect. I gotta get mad respect to BYU for just agreeing to this game two days in advance. Like that was awesome that we were able to get this game because honestly. I bet you five times as many people watched this game than would have watched Coastal Carolina Liberty. Like that was like a cool thing. Like I would have watched game day. It's like, Oh cool. Game day, giving Coastal Carolina some love. But I probably wouldn't have watched the game if I'm being honest. Like the BYU, that was sexy. Like I was like, I got to check out this game and you got to give a lot of credit to Coastal Carolina and the way they, they played. Cause I don't think, I don't think many people gave him a legitimate shot to shut down, like to actually shut down Zach Wilson and the BYU offense. Yeah. I, uh, I think that's fair. And I think people who are overreacting and saying that uh, BYU are frauds because of that loss and see, we avoided a 
a disaster by including BYU among the college football's elite. Um, you have to point out that this was, like you said, a, a quick turnaround for them that they did they didn't have a normal week of preparation. Um, this was really thrown together, and they just did it for the sake of the sport. And I think it uh, it is going to be interesting because I wonder if this is going to become a trend in college football, right? Like if this was such a success and that other teams maybe get more flexibility later in the season for other teams. Do you, do you think we could see more teams just adding uh, two programs like group of five programs that are like, Hey, we're both really good. Um, let's just go play each other and see if that will help our resume and help us uh, sway the committee a little bit more. Like what if more group of five teams took that shot at the committee was like, look, you got to do something else to really, really prove it. And a lot of these power five schools don't want to play the BYUs in the coastal Carolinas. Like if you're South Carolina next year, you don't want any part of uh coastal. Um, I don't Honestly, know. I have never thought about that. It because nothing like this is going to happen in, in terms of like a, a pandemic year, you know, and just with all the all the cancellations and everything like that. But what you could definitely see is like maybe these teams just schedule 11 games. They schedule 10 games and just leave that date open. Like we've seen that in college basketball. They do like the the bracket buster thing with those like kind of prominent mid-majors. Mm. It's like you see you, – you got to see like – well, obviously Creighton's in the Big East now. But you see like Creighton versus like Wichita State or something. And it was like a good game for both teams because now like these smaller schools are – playing other good small schools. Honestly, it would be genius if if these teams like BYU or UCF, these teams that kind of, I don't know, considered themselves like contenders, they just weren't getting the respect. If we could see the last week of November, first week of December, they're playing each other and trying to get that game to to boost their resume. Honestly, I would that would be like the greatest idea ever for the group of five. And he, they could just call themselves group of five national champions or something if they wanted to, like – I don't know. That would be a genius idea. And more than anything, does this prove that we can like stop scheduling these games like 15 years into the future? Like, yeah, like I don't I don't care. Like, it's cool that Georgia's playing Oklahoma in 2031. But like, I, I've forgotten about that so long. It's like we should just look who the, oh, we got all the best players are, how the NFL runs through their schedule. It's like, huh. Well, we should get Eli Manning and Peyton Manning to play each other. People will like will watch that game, you know. Just come up with some good storylines, throw in some some non conference games. It'd be awesome if we could do that. It would be, and I I want to see see what happens here. Let's let's get weird. This is a very pro. Let's get weird podcast. Um, Florida, Tennessee. Do you want to go there next, or do you want to go yeah. Alabama LSU? Florida, yeah, well, that works. Florida, Tennessee. Tell me, you're, you're the uh. It's the station Tennessee guy. Tell me what you thought about this game. Uh, it sucked. Um, <laughs> didn't enjoy it. Uh, Harrison Bailey, I, I tweeted this out, but this was something that I'm glad happened um, to expose more of what's going on with Tennessee's offense and just program as a whole, that Harrison Bailey was not going to solve Tennessee's problems and that the problems in Knoxville run deeper than simply Jared Garantano throwing pick sixes and opposing one yard lines. Like it's those are backbreakers, but that was not the reason that Tennessee has just struggled and been bad and the program's going the opposite way. Like Jared Garantano is not costing four and five star recruits to decommit. He's not responsible for conservative play calling. He's not responsible for the lack of explosive plays. Like Harrison Bailey took some more shots. He was more active on his feet, but he was inaccurate. 
He overshot a lot of dudes. He wasn't precise. He just looked like a true freshman quarterback. And JT Shroud had some uh, late game nonsense that uh, looked a lot better than it really was. Um, but this Florida defense is terrible. And and Tennessee just did not capitalize. They got up 10-7 early. Um, and that's when you messaged me. And I was like, no. And the second half stuff is just mind-boggling that uh, they just cannot come out and score in the second half. They can't, they just fold. And at some point it has to be an indictment on this entire staff. And I've, I've been pretty lenient um, about uh, playing in a pandemic year, playing a full sec schedule. And this has been hard and there's a lot at play here, but if the recruiting starts to go, which it looks like it's going to start, um, you look at this offense and just how many different teams are still making great offenses with the same amount of practice time, the same issues. Um, Ohio state's losing people all the time to COVID restrictions and they're still playing basically perfect offense. And I think ultimately this exposes more of what kind of coaching staff that you have. If you have an elite coaching staff, you can find ways around this and you can coach these guys up and you adjust your game plan accordingly. And it, it really does seem like Tennessee does not adjust. Jim Cheney does not adjust week in week out. Kyle Trask is a monster, but I don't know. I think uh, Tennessee is just blah. And Jeremy Banks trying to cover over the middle, still not working. Tennessee still just gets destroyed on underneath routes and intermediate routes all day long. Kyle Trask figured it out. They did the wheel route stuff that uh, Georgia suffered uh, against Florida. But um, yeah, they had no answers. Like that uh, Tony running in back and forth in motion was just very clean and perfect and you know it it's kind of wild that dan mullen has now passed Steve spurrier and urban meyer for the best 34 game start by a head coach in florida history um he's 28 and 6 and spurrier and meyer 27 and 7 at this point um so yeah dan mullen is building a juggernaut here especially on offense and they're really hard to beat but um yeah it it, it was not a good time it was not a good time matt <laughs> Yeah, I, that that is a crazy stat. I uh, I saw that uh, stat that you wrote down. That's very surprising. I mean, he just came in winning ten games. Um, but yeah, that one the one touchdown you're talking about to Tony. I've never seen a play like that. Like a dude, he legitimately ran a route before the play started. Yes. Like I've I've never actually seen that. But um, I I think more than anything from from Florida, I just. They've they're just started so slow the last three weeks. Like when I like when you're watching Florida like the first half of the season, you're just like, man, this team's incredible. But it's like the goalposts shifted as soon as you beat Georgia. Okay, now everything you're doing, we're comparing to Alabama. Mm. You know what I mean? And now when I just look at them comparing them to Alabama, I'm just like, I feel like this team's gonna get destroyed by Alabama because the offense can obviously score some points. But you've seen what Alabama will do to offenses that score some points. They'll just outscore them, too. So I feel like I don't know if their defense statistically is as bad as Ole Miss. It, it hasn't been great. But if Florida doesn't score on every single drive when they play Alabama, I think I think they're going to get boat raced. But um, once again, like Kyle Trask was just – in the first half, I will say, that he, Tennessee gave gave Florida a game. Like – the fact that they only well, they had a game in the first half. I don't think Florida was ever sweating it. I think they were just annoyed at they were missing some bunnies and Kyle Trask missed some bunnies and Tennessee got true. some pressure. But like, I don't think they were nervous. I really don't. 
Trask probably missed more like open throws in this game than I've seen yeah. all year, and it wasn't many. It was just a couple because their offense has been so efficient, just so just perfect. But the fact that Tennessee was able to just shut down the running game the way they were, that's another thing that worries me about Florida moving forward. Like if you can't run the ball at all against Tennessee, you're not going to be able to run the ball against Alabama. So I Kyle Trask is is was once again great, but so I, I don't want to think, I don't, I don't want this to sound like I'm like piling on Kyle Trask, but when I, when you watch Florida play, do you think that's the best player on the team? Because I don't at all. Like Kyle Trask is, is great, but Kyle Pitts, he's the best player on this team. And, and I know he, the Heisman, you know, they don't, they don't pay attention to tight ends and he's having a ridiculous season fourth in the country in, in touchdowns, and he missed two games also. And I just want to know, when are we going to start giving more love to the other positions again in the Heisman Trophy? Like, that's that's what, that's what I want to see. Like, you, 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 people were pulling up, like, the top five in the Heisman voting yesterday, and it, you can guess who it is. It's basically the five quarterbacks on, like, the five best teams in the country. You know what I mean? And plus Zach Wilson in there. But – you know, you got Trask has had a great season. Mac Jones has had a great season. Trevor Lawrence has been great. But there's other positions out there than quarterback. Like when I when I watch college football and I see Najee Harris and I see Devontae Smith and I see Kyle Pitts, like those sh- those guys should be considered for the award that's the best player in college football. And I think – I don't know about you, but I think – I personally think the Heisman Trophy has lost some luster – like in in recent years and I think it's because it's become this quarterback award like obviously Joe Burrow and Kyler Murray like amazing players and they probably were the best player in college football but but when you have Matt Leiner beating Adrian Peterson or Jason White beating Larry Fitzgerald for who the best football player is like how how is that possible so I just I personally, this has been my my mini Heisman rant. What grinds my gears is I just I, I want to see the Heisman Trophy become a football player award again, and not just a quarterback award. Because Kyle Trask is obviously a baller. I'm not going to take anything away from him. Dan Mullen is just, but when you honestly when you see him play, it's like, are we talking about like a top five pick here? Are we talking about like an extraordinary talent in Kyle Trask? Like not taking anything away from him, but I feel like Dan Mullen has just scripted a perfect offense and just designs the perfect scheme for what he does the best you know and Kyle Pitt when I see their team play and I see Kyle Pitts every time he gets the ball I'm just like geez this guy's unguardable so when I watch them play I automatically think Kyle Pitts is the best player on this team and so despite Kyle Trask's numbers like I, I don't think you can be the best player in college football when you're not the best player on your team what are your what are your thoughts I don't disagree with you I just don't think that's where we're headed. It just feels like that it's going to take some really Buffalo running back type stuff in the SEC to really change, like to really change that. Because like, I think it's just like boring where people just it, running backs are boring. It's not as interesting as a quarterback. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just don't think it's ever going to be a thing. I, I don't disagree. I just think it's going to be really hard to sell people on Kyle Pitts, Travis Kelsey types over George Kittle types over um, quarterbacks. Flashy quarterbacks will always, I think, have that um, have that inherent advantage. And 
I don't see that shifting. We are in a pass happy era. Um, and running backs, receivers, tight ends. I don't know if they also get the enough time, right? Like, I think part of this too is the amount of shine they get week in, week out, and like how much the ball is in quarterbacks' hands now versus even Kyle Pitts, where he he gets targeted six or seven, eight or nine times a game, but like it's still trash throwing like thirty five of forty <laughs> every week, and we just see him rear back and just flawlessly execute wheel route after wheel route and finding the right guy and he just he never makes a boneheaded play he's just super smart and cerebral and um i don't know he he puts the ball where he needs to go there's a lot of variety to his game um he's like you said just knows how to just flourish in the stan mullen offense but i i i don't envy voters on this where it's like how much i guess i would love to just ask mullen and be like give me some true serum who who is more valuable to you week in and week out kyle trask or kyle pitts would you be able to be uh, a one loss team right now if you lost kyle trask do you think you could survive with uh the with emory emory jones how how much of a drop-off is it and that's an interesting question of like if they we've seen that they've just kept plugging along without pits right like he did miss some time and this offense did not miss a beat so i think that uh, that hurts his case and it seems like across the country sometimes when you have an elite quarterback and they just they fall off um that your offense just falls off a cliff look no joe burrow and lsu guess what back to the bottom and it just seems like quarterbacks are just so so critical miami last year without Derek king Derek King's in there and there everything's solved. Ian Book makes a leap and guess what? Notre Dame is now a serious contender. Like uh, I I don't know. I think no, that, that's, that's just true. where we're at. And that's true. And the the quarterback is like pretty much always the most valuable player, but right. it's only just because you know, or also we're in this era of, you know, if a quarterback doesn't play, they transfer. So yeah. we're just you know, we're we're penalizing running backs and receivers just because the second and third string receiver or running back are also good. You know, it's just it's unfortunate. I feel like, yeah, it's like a philosophical thing. Like they all the voters would have to come together and be like, hey, this shouldn't just be a running back award anymore. You know what I mean? But nine of the last 10 at this point have have been quarterbacks and Kyle Pitts like that's that's more of a, a radical statement just because he doesn't have like the ridiculous counting numbers. Cause he did miss two games and he's only got, I think like 30 something catches on the year, even though he is just incredible when he does touch the ball. But when you talk about Najee Harris is like, he's fourth in the country in rushing yards, first in rushing TDs. We all, we all see how like, not only the counting stats, like we see his ability kind of like Reggie Bush, like didn't lead the country in stats, but he just, he was an incredible athlete and we saw his multi dimensions and same with Devonte Smith, like leading the country or second in the country in receptions, first in yards, first in touchdowns. Like he's actually doing like being the best in terms of productivity in the country. It's weird. I honestly, after yesterday, we finally started to hear some Devonte Smith, like at least people on social media, like giving him some love, but it's a shame that he's not in that conversation at all. Cause Mac Jones is obviously a baller, but Devontae Smith, honestly, right now looks like the best player. I would probably give it to Najee Harris, but I'm, I feel like just because of his running and receiving ability. But Devontae Smith, it's hard to argue against him as being the best player in college football. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Um, yeah, we, we basically talked about that game. Were you going to say anything else? Well, 
there was a bad fumble. I, I like that. Um, LSU, man, it's just we shouldn't be surprised if they lost fifty-five to seventeen. Um, the Devonte Smith catch was just filthy. His touchdown catch in the corner with the one hand, oh, nice. like just he is a he is a monster. But um, what what do you think about Ed Orgeron and Bo Pelini going forward? Oh, dude, I loved it, man. That was you. Really, really have a bone to pick with Ed Orgeron and the LSU I... Tigers. You really don't like LSU. It's not that I really don't like LSU. It's just the overreaction about who LSU is and who Ed Orgeron is after that one season. Because LSU has just been this uber-talented team for like the last decade. It's just been putting first-round picks almost at the same ra- same rate as Alabama. Like just in terms of like Pro Bowl caliber players they've been putting in the league. And they just had terrible quarterback play and they're never any good and they're never like a legit contender. They get Joe Burrow and boom, they're and Joe Brady along with Joe Burrow and they're this national champion juggernaut and everything. And everyone's like, oh, Ed Orgeron figured out how to take LSU, bring him into the 21st century, modern college football and all this and high up, high octane offense. And literally Brady lives offense left with him like this it's it's inexcusable to be this bad. Like, we know how much talent they lost, but, like, Ohio State does that all the time. Alabama does that all the time. Clemson does that all the time. Even someone like Georgia, who wasn't as – who lost a lot from the national championship, they weren't as good the next year. They went, like, 10-4, and four, you know, 10-3 and three, or what was it, 11-3. and three. It's like this is just an awful drop-off. Like, I, I can understand, like, after Cam Newton, you know, after Auburn, like – they were like what an eight and five team or something like that. Mm. It's like that's a that's a reasonable drop off if you you're an eight and five team, seven and nine and four team. But you go from a national champion to having a maybe a losing record. They're three and five, so they have a chance to to finish five and five. But they play Florida next week, and I don't think anyone's betting on LSU to beat Florida next week. So at the very best, this team is looking like four and six. And honestly, I might not bet on them to beat Ole Miss either. So if this team ends up three and seven like everyone you know anointing oh ed orgeron's a top five coach in college football now it's like no he's not like he deserves some credit for he he got the roster yes he deserves credit for that but joe burrow also transferred in he was just looking for one of the best best spots that didn't have a quarterback essentially joe brady was that that team's offense so i just it does. I, I, it's definitely petty, but I definitely get satisfaction on seeing, on being correct that Ed Orgeron is just not an elite coach. He, he just, I was, sometimes I have predictions that are wrong. You know, lots of times I make predictions that are wrong, but um, I just, I just refuse to believe that he became an elite college football coach overnight. And I think we're seeing that, that he did not. They just had a perfect storm in 2019. Your glee is just unreal I mean, i'm saying it's petty I, i'll acknowledge it but like it's, um, it's it's more about being happy about my prediction being right if any if more than anything else that's probably half of it if you say so matt green <laughs> um where are we going next oh next we're uh going to a&m and auburn i thought this was one of the better games of that early slate um Honestly, probably one of the best games, Bo Nix. I feel like I was very impressed with Bo Nix's performance in this game. Um, he really kept Auburn in it. 
But um, I thought this was Texas A&M. I guess Florida is obviously their best win of the season. This is their second best win of the season just because it was such a physical game. I felt like going in into Auburn, it just it felt like a recipe for like, okay, this is when A&M stubs their toe. And, and they didn't. And Kellen Mond was, was efficient. They, they ran all over them. They absolutely controlled the clock. I think was that last drive they had the ball, I don't know, for like the last eight minutes of the game or something like that. And they, uh, they just really 38 to 22 is what they won the uh, time of possession. And if, if there's no turnovers in the game and one team's got the ball for 38 minutes and you can only have it for 22, like you're not winning that game. So I thought it was a prefer an impressive performance by A&M. And it's kind of crazy how we all just kind of overreacted so early to, oh, just another Texas A&M season, and, and they really are pending some chaos. They really could make a claim for, for getting in the top four. It was a different kind of win for Texas A&M, right? Like we, the old Texas A&M would have folded. This was something where Kellamon's not looking great. Um, they're on the road, classic look down, let down, look ahead situation. They want to be taken seriously. They want to be considered among the elites and the elites in college football, and they just blow it. And they finish seven and three, whatever. And you're like, ah, oh, why did I buy into Texas A&M again? But this was like a, a legitimate big statement win. So, like you said, it's not Florida, but it does show more that this team um, has reached a different level in terms of just being able to win games that they they don't play the best in because you're not always going to have these clean, flawless wins, even when you're a great program. Sometimes you're going to have some some teams come out and bite you a little bit, and you got to see what you're going to do in response. And um, how you earn respect going forward is winning these kinds of games and it's okay for teams to be great and also have some games like this. So I hope people did not overreact to the fact that Auburn had them on the ropes for the majority of this game. And it took some special play from Texas A&M to survive here and just say, look, they, they came away with the victory, which is ultimately the point of all of this. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think, I just think because of, I don't, I hope I haven't seen people overreacting like like this wasn't a good win because I think Auburn still just name brand recognition. I think you you think going on the road at Auburn, yeah. that's a good win, you know. So especially with with Bo Nix, maybe the play of the season in college football that uh, that touchdown run he had, and and this Auburn team is a solid team. You know, they I it's kind of inexplicable that that performance they had against South Carolina, but. It's a four-loss team that's lost to three teams that are in the top ten. So I, I feel like that's essentially Auburn. What Auburn says every single year, like they have three or four losses, and they're all to teams in the top ten. So it's uh, it's unfortunate the schedule, the the was the hand they're dealt every year. Where are we going next? All right, next uh, we're going to Ohio State. What are your thoughts of uh, Justin Fields carrying the ball a little bit more this week? He set a career high in rushing yards. Um, that kind of scares me. Um, Fields just being asked to to do a lot there because they do have a lot of options in the backfield and they've been running the ball really well as a team lately. Um, he'd only gone over the 100 mar- yard mark once in his college career to this point um, against UMass actually at Georgia. Do you remember him running for 100 yards at Georgia? Uh, yeah, because that UMass game was the one where he dropped that dime. That was like a 60-yard like bullet to Miko Hardman for a touchdown. 
and everyone's like, why is this guy not starting? And it's like, oh, it's a valid point. He looks really fucking good. But, um, but yeah, I, I do remember it was like a, just a late game. Yeah. Cause that we played that, that, that receiver from UMass, I think he's on the Cardinals now is like leading the country and receiving oh, yards. Oh, Isabella. And Isabella. Yeah. He, he torched us. I think he had like 200 yards receiving. Didn't Antonio Brown torch all two at CMU one year when he was there? Did he? I know that was the, that was the game that, uh, that no Sean hurdled the guy. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. JJ Watt and uh, Antonio Brown were both on that team. Fun fact for you. Dan Lefevre, you remember that name? Oh, I love me some Dan Lefevre. <laughs> it seemed like there was a there was like twenty Dan Lefevres in that like era of college football that played in like the MAC or the yeah. or anything like that. I remember them. Um, next, who you got, Matt? All right, going to Clemson. I'll be honest. My TV was not tuned into this game mm. for uh, for very long. Um, something about Lane Stadium with no fans really uh, really <laughs> brings down the energy. I uh, I was I was looking for some inner Sandman, but uh, yeah, Clemson just they're just cruising. I, honestly, in, in a uniform note, I want to I want to go on another rant here. Oh no, Clemson needs to just get rid of their white pants. Like just just get rid of them. Like. They, okay. they, I know these are their these are their orange their championship orange britches or something like that they call them because this is for a division champ or this was the seal of spot in the AC championship so that's why mm. they wore them this time but they wear them every single semifinal game every single national championship every every South Carolina game because that's the state championship every ACC championship so when everyone in the country is watching you play you have orange pants just. Just put the orange pants on every game. They look better. That's that's my mini rant. That's just just burn the white, white pants. All you need is the orange pants. With all orange, they look dope. White jerseys, orange pants look better. The purple aren't bad either. That's all. I will, I'll I'll agree with that. Yeah, keep the purple alternate. That's cool. The purple alternate but, might be uh, the cleanest look they have. The purple home alternate is. That's quality. The all purple, that's a good look. Mm. But yeah, even the purple, when they rock the white pants with the purple, like yeah. it looks terrible. Just just burn the white pants. <laughs> just just see all you need is the purple and the orange. Like mm. and you don't need to wear them together. That's a bad that's a bad idea. But um All right. Uniform police Matt yeah, Green has logged that's on. That's my fashion my uniform fashion police uh rant for the day. But uh what were your thoughts about Clemson this weekend? So the Hokies actually started off good in the first half. They were uh, right there with them. Um, it was a classic crock potting. Uh, Clemson did this. Bama did this. Um, certain teams across the country, the elites, they they toy around for a little bit before they just um, step on their necks. Um, but Brad Cornelson, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Justin Fuentes, offensive coordinator. Um, I was reading some Gobbler country and reading different Virginia Tech fans, what their perspective is on this offense. because. Gobbler tree what a name (laughs) it's a good (laughs) website shout out to gobbler country but um the offense fell apart in the second half and i want to read this quote because i was like am i reading about tennessee or virginia tech as the game moved into the third quarter the offense fell flat it wasn't for a lack of effort the Hokies were once again let down by offensive coordinator brad cornelson while other teams adjust the half cornelson does not at this point it's clear he's just not capable of making adjustments you could say this exact same sentence in terms of the Tennessee-Florida game, but uh, this was describing Virginia Tech losing and falling. Are they two games under 500 now? Um, yeah, but, four uh, to six. Yeah. 
not looking good for Fuente's uh, long-term outlook up there in a uh, gobbler country. I swear, is the entire ACC four and six? Like, no, not <laughs> obviously. There's some solid teams at the top, but I swear, like everyone else is is right there at like four and six. I just look up, and everyone's record seems to be that. But uh, but yeah, Clemson just another just another tune up, getting ready for that uh, Notre Dame rematch. Um, and then this one, you know, I'll give you the floor because uh, these were your boys mm. a couple weeks back. But I think I think you're gonna have to admit that we that you jumped the gun on Graham Mertz and Wisconsin. I will not. Um, Indiana <laughs> is a nuisance at this point with Michael Penix Jr. being out. Don't like watching him. Great story, but they need to be turned off the television. I don't like that Wisconsin struggling to score. That Indiana is just so pesky on both sides of the ball. That their offense is just. Uh, abysmal without Penix it's not good how much of a drop-off there is there but um, I don't know I think Wisconsin is certainly at a point where you're like mm, Graham Mertz is too talented for this and uh, I don't know a lot of COVID stuff playing in and out I it's hard for me to be super hard on these Big Ten teams but I uh, I don't know it's a good win for Indiana magical season for them uh, I will not stray away from my Graham Mertz is actually gonna be awesome with wisconsin stuff I, you will not you will not sour me on mertz mania Matt. fair enough i uh th- these these games against with northwestern and indiana i feel like wisconsin's offense is just not shown up so but uh but staying in the big 10 so what is uh your your new squad iowa my what's, new squad is iowa what, what's going on here they're fun i was fun on both sides of the ball they're really good um, they're beating who they need to beat after a slow start. Um, this is like one of better, like one of the more enjoyable uh, Kurt Ferentz squads with Petrus and Goodson. Um, their offense still goes in and out. Tyler Goodson, North Gwinnett High School. Is he really? Yes, sir. Hmm. Um. Well, the more you know, the more T-good, you know. good, <laughs> as his dad called him. His oh. dad actually was the one that like I did the some announcing for North Gwinnett, like the mm. PA announcing, and his uh his dad was like did the music like next to me, but uh yeah. Tyler Goodson, he's a quality basketball player as well. Interesting. Well, the Iowa Hawkeyes are probably, they've surpassed Wisconsin as the number two team in the Big Ten this year. Um, They've won five straight Big Ten games for the first time since winning all eight in 2015. And the 2016 league opener, they beat Iowa, uh, beat Illinois, excuse me, uh, 35-21. So shout out to the Hawkeyes for, for rolling so this, and putting a interesting brand of football on, on display. So is this only because, uh, Penix jr is out? Yeah. That, I think so. Second like, best game? so you yeah, would, you would have Indiana. I would, but Penix okay. being out there, they are not the second best team in this, this conference. It is Iowa, I think. All right. Fair enough. And, um, I would say one of the more shocking results of this weekend to me was Oklahoma state. Like TCU has just not looked good to me, and Max Duggan has not been, you know, great. Obviously, he can he can run, and he ran all over Oklahoma State this week. But uh, I don't know. Like we were we were thinking this team was going to be a playoff team, and now now they're sitting at five and three. What are your thoughts about Oklahoma State? Well, I hate TCU, um, and I feel bad for their fans now because they are officially in, like, Gary Patterson just wins these games against... I think they're 2-0 and against AP Top 25 teams this year, and they're just a bad team, but they win these games for whatever reason. Um, 
They win 29-22. Like, OK State's just having a really weird offensive year. Like, I just, I can't put my finger on it. Like, they have talent everywhere on offense, and it's just, it's not working. And that's a little concerning. And you're seeing that across the board in the Big 12 is that there are a lot of bad offenses um, and weirdly good defenses. So I'm not really sure if it's Big 12 has gotten a lot better um, on that side of the ball. But um, you'll know a lot about a person and whether or not they're actually watching college football, depending on how they talk about the Big 12 at this point. If like they don't play defense over there. And I'm like, have you watched an SEC game uh, this season? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that the Big 12 is playing better defense than the SEC. Um I don't know, but the SEC fans just gonna tell you, no, that's just because they have such great offenses yeah, in the SEC. Like, the only reason they're not scoring points in the Big Twelve is because the offenses are so bad. Well, I thought the offenses were amazing. SEC, yeah, it's because the defenses. That's just hard. That's just hard nosed football. We play down south. It just means more. Yeah, I, I hate. I, this is why I hate these kinds of conversations, and I can't do them. And that's why we have to do things like expand the playoff just so that more conferences are playing each other. So there's not all these like tribalism of just like, oh, yeah, the Big 12. What do you expect out of a Big 12 team? Like, let's just let's just have these teams play each other. It seems like there's just so much more like hate in college football than there is in college basketball because everyone's satisfied at the end of the year. And like, man, that team sucks. But we, we did lose in the second round of the tournament. So I can't say anything, you know? We just need to have a more satisfying conclusion to the season. Well, I would remove the playoff at this point. I think the playoff is bad. And Kerb Herb Street going against the playoff is music to my ears. I actually want to... It's not going to happen. They're going to expand. They're going to include more people. But I uh, I would actually remove it. I would bring back the BCS. 100%. Wow, what? Yeah. What is this talk? What? How? What is better about the BCS than the playoff? I think bowl season has just been destroyed, and that I I miss caring just as much about the Outback Bowl as I did the Rose Bowl, and now with the playoff, it's who, just so much emphasis. Cared, whoever cared as much about the Outback Bowl as the Rose Bowl? Me, all the time. I love the Outback Bowl. There's no way. Yeah, I did, and I don't like that everything is now coming down because college football. Dan Rubenstein on the Solid Verbal started all of this, um, but. I, I agree with this point that like college football should not be about the end result. It should be about the rivalries, the weekend week outs. Like um, I forgot who wrote about this it may have been an ESPN article. I read it last week, but um, so forgive me for not uh, placing the name here, but he mentioned that this is why we don't have Texas and Texas A&M anymore. This is why we don't have good rivalries is everything's about money and expansion and all of this stuff. And it's just, I, I would rather go backwards. We've gone too far. We've expanded too much. We've realigned too much. Everything's about money and getting more eyeballs in the playoff. And ESPN obviously spent a bunch of money on the playoff. So that is something they need to do is hype it up and talk about it all the time. But I'm not interested in the playoff simulator because ultimately it's going to be the same teams every year. Like it's going to be the same handful. Like it's your program is not going to be an Alabama or Clemson. It's just not, and you need to accept that. What is important is that you get to have a fun experience. You have a good program. You're recruiting nicely. You're winning some rivalry games. You're losing some heartbreakers. But ultimately, it's about like just having an awesome Saturday with just fun action. It shouldn't be about who is uh, who is going to make the playoff. And if you are a Minnesota fan thinking about how your team get in the playoff, then you missed the point. And I I don't think it's good for college football, football fans' psyches long term. But college football isn't just – it's not just some fun thing where you hold hands and everyone gets a trophy. You know, it's not – it's like we want to announce a winner. I would like, like a, if we're doing every all team this, played hard. Let's get let's, – let's do that. Yeah. Every team played hard. 
I mean, right now, since we expanded to four teams, like one team that was number one seed actually won the national championship. I mean, you have two four seeds and a three seed that have won the national championship. So, Well, you got to also mention who those seeds were at the time. But I'm saying as far as that, but I'm saying regardless, those teams wouldn't have gotten in the national championship under the BCS system, and they proved on the field they were the best team. I feel like getting rid – the only thing that makes sense is expanding the playoff because in the NBA, it's like you don't need half the league to make the – to make the playoffs, every team plays every team. You could just you could decide who the best teams are. Every team plays every team twice too. You could decide who the best teams are by the regular season. The college football season, regular season, while it's great and has its pageantry and there's all the in-state rivalries, it's the most unsatisfying regular season of all the sports because. In a, in a normal season, you play 12 teams on your schedule. There's 130 teams in college football. You play 10% of all the teams in college football, and then we vote on who the best ones are. It's like at least we're – it's like going to four has given us some like margin for error because we don't always know. People clearly don't always know who the best is. And if you go to eight, then I feel like it takes – it just takes all the hatred out of it. I feel like people still, like college football fans, hate on Ohio State because they got voted ahead of them in like 1994. You know what I mean? Like, they, there's just so much like these rivalries just go so deep, and like you just hate everyone from every other conference. And in college basketball, there just seems to be like just everyone just loves basketball. Like, oh yeah, they're a quality team. They can play. It's like college football, you don't hear a college football fan say anything good about any team from any other conference. You know, they're like, oh, well, they'd get smoked by 30 if if they played in our conference. It's like, and we have no way of proving that to be true or false. And so people just continue to say it. You know what I mean? Like in Division Two, do they, I bet they don't just bitch at each other like this because there's a 16-team playoff and they just decide it. So it's unfortunate that like these bowl games are like, kind of they're the they're the ones that are losing out from all this but we had way too many bowl games to begin with so i think we could dial back the bowl games anyway like i know i know i'm in the minority of wanting like a 16 team college football playoff because that would just be madness but like march madness is like the greatest thing in all of sports so i would love to bring it to college football but i think i think eight teams is necessary to just take all the speculation out about it like we know that a, a strength of schedule doesn't determine how good a team is. You know, we've seen Clemson two years in a row play garbage schedules and still be maybe the best team in college football and show that they clearly deserved they they, they showed they clearly deserved a shot on that stage, even though they didn't play anyone in the regular season. Like, why does that logic not apply to Cincinnati? Why does that logic not apply to Coastal Carolina? Like, I know they don't have as many NFL players and they don't do as well in the recruiting rankings. But they've won all their games. Like it makes someone beat them and show that they're not as good as as you as they think they are. You know what I mean? It's it's just weird these conversations that people always have. Well, they don't even deserve to be on the same field as Alabama. It's like, okay, well, so neither does Kentucky. And when they play them, they beat them by sixty points. It's like let's just let them decide it on the field. Let them beat them by sixty points if that's what it takes. You're not going to sell me on this, Macarine. 
You don't want eight teams? No, I, I want just, zero. I don't know how to be more clear. I love both. You want season. zero? You don't want? You just want to? You want before the BCS? You just yes. want to vote on it after the regular season? Yes. Dude, come on! You're killing me. I would do votes. I would just have the smartest people vote, and we tally it up because we know, we know, we 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 know. Dude, we don't know anything. We we know. Georgia and, and Alabama were the three and four seeds three years ago, and there were the two teams that both won and were played for the national championship. You would have rather have had a Clemson, Kelly Bryant team playing Baker Mayfield for the national championship? Yes, because the playoff ultimately doesn't include 99% of college football programs. Like, it just doesn't. And college football programs, if I just think it's it breeds discontent among fan bases where they're like, why are we never competing for the playoff? And I don't think that was a thing before. And I think you're going to see that more and more of teams being like, like Florida fans, but they're going to miss the playoff this year, right? They're going to get annoyed. They're like, we have the best start ever um, with Dan Mullen and we have nothing to show for, but it's like, what do you mean? You have nothing to show for. You've been awesome and you might get your run. Like there's just other great teams and Whatever, just but, enjoy but the moment. Fans, the Florida fans will accept the process because they have their shot. It's just like Georgia the last two years. No one thought that Georgia really deserved to be in the playoff, but they went 11-1, and one, and then they had their their game. If they win the SEC, they're in. And they didn't win either time, and they were like, okay, we're, we don't actually, I guess after 2018, they still claim to be one of the best four teams. But Florida... Florida's not going to complain because they do have a shot. They have their essentially their qu- quarterfinal game against Alabama where they can get into the top four. It's the teams like Cincinnati that literally don't have a, a bracket to be in. They don't have a, a way to get into the into the playoff. And that's just like, why are we playing if we can't win a championship? You know what I mean? I feel like obviously there's Everyone has fun, and there's student athletes getting educations, and there's the in-state rivalries, all that stuff, and that's cool. But that's not that's not better than deciding who the true national champion is. Well, in my in my personal opinion, where are we going next, Matt Green? All right, let's keep it going. Uh, I know this is a game uh, you wanted to talk about. Tulsa Navy. Tulsa won nineteen to six. I um I'll be honest I didn't watch this game so Tulsa wasn't gonna be I good this year at all and they're top twenty five and like Montgomery's done a really good job there but they have had some bad seasons the last couple of years and they've kind of fallen off the Golden Hurricanes used to be just must see offense and uh, they've they've fallen off a little bit and Navy just a really weird season for them so I can't really place my finger on what I think Navy is this year because like. They were been so good at home, fifty three and thirteen to uh, this point, in twelve seasons. At, at which does it feel like Ken Naima Tomalolo? I'm going to butcher, butcher that, but um, does oh, you it feel kept like going? I just I was going with you. How many? Like he's been there for twelve seasons now. It's kind of wild that he's already been there that long. But he was six and zero at home, and then finished eleven and two in twenty nineteen, and in twenty twenty, their home record is one and four. I just don't understand Navy this year at all. Yeah, I um, I have no idea what to make of that one. I'm I'm gonna move on. <laughs> um, Iowa State claims their first Big Twelve. I guess not. I was gonna say Big Twelve North. First Big Twelve championship game appearance with a big time win this weekend. What are your thoughts on Iowa State? Over really West good. They've turned the corner. I am very, 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 very fascinated to see what Oklahoma Iowa State looks like. I am very fascinated by it. 
So I have a, I have a trivia question for an Iowa State football two-part trivia question for okay. you. The answer is Seneca Wallace. Let's go three-part trivia question. How many conference championships does Iowa State have in their tenure, in their uh, football history? They have two. Okay. What year was their last conference championship? Is it Big 12? Ooh, that was the third part of the trivia question. It was not the Big 12. I didn't think so. Okay. Um... I don't think they have. <sighs> Dude, I don't know. It's got to be at least 30 years ago. 1912. Okay, yeah. There we go. Went back to back Missouri Valley Conference. Oh, I'm sorry. That was the that was the uh, third part of the trivia question. It was, I was going to ask you what conference they were in. Back to back Missouri Valley Conference champions in 1911 and 1912. Only conference championships of their entire history. I um I was impressed. West Virginia is a completely different team on the road and versus at home, apparently. So I uh, felt confident Iowa State was going to take care of business, and they did. Brees Hall just missed 100 yards, but another big-time uh, performance for him. I agree. Um, but uh, going back to – what were you going to say? Oh, no, let's do lightning round for these other games because I feel like we've hit on all the major ones. All right, go. I know you're a Pac-12 guy. Give, mm-hmm. give me what is going on with Oregon. California, oh, their quarterback stinks. Beat Oregon twenty-one seventeen. Yeah, their 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 quarterback stinks. And then the other, the most surprising uh, result in the Pac-12, I thought this weekend was Stanford beating Washington thirty-one twenty-six. Washington's been good um, outside of also Colorado, maybe sneaking into the college football playoff. It's time we talk about it, Matt. It. Uh, they might win the Pac-12, so we need to go ahead and talk about uh, the job that Carl Dorrell has done right away at Colorado. It's kind of like they're they're weirdly good, and I don't understand it. Um, but Davis know, Mills, GAC oh. legend, Davis Mills, um, he had some big throws. I went back and watched a lot of his big throws here. Um, Washington tried to come back; it was uh, it was good, but like the most cardinal um david shaw type ending to this game was that the cardinal ran the final 754 off the clock with a 14 play drive that ended uh with a touchdown run um or ended with just running out the clock um on fourth and one it was it was the most cardinal shit of all time so shout out to the stanford cardinal for a much needed win because they, they needed it david shaw quietly been kind of bad the last couple of years and um i don't know they they needed a big win here at a good uh, Washington team. On a, on a separate note, like there's obviously a lot of bad ways to lose, like heartbreaking ways to lose a football game. Is that not the worst way to lose a game? Like bring your, you know, you just need that stop. There's eight minutes left in the game yeah. and you just don't get the ball back. Like I know the Hail Mary, like the last second ones are like gut punches, but this is just like a slow, painful death. You know, like you, you would, you would, I've never thought you weren't getting the ball back after scoring with eight minutes to go. So that's a that's a big time a big time win for Stanford. Also on Friday night, we haven't talked about this game. Um, we kind of alluded to it at the start with App State and U uh, UL, the Raging Cajuns. Did you see this game? I I, I watched the recap, but I did not watch it live. No. 
So did you, I guess you heard about this punter for, or this, not punter, this long snapper for the Raging Cajuns. Yes. Three long snaps just way over the punter's head. Did you see the, the, uh, the intentional safety Louisiana took at the end of this game? I did not. So they have like a fourth and two on like their own 30 yard line, like a minute and a half left. And they take an intentional safety dude just runs backwards and just runs out of the end zone. But he does it. Like if you're going to take the safety, like run around for like 30 seconds, like do something. He just like ran straight to the end zone and then just kind of went out of the back of the end zone and made it a three point game, with like a minute left. Like it was the strangest thing I've ever seen. And honestly, they, they probably should have lost this game app state or at least gone to overtime app state had a chip shot field goal that they missed. And then uh, Louisiana was able to escape. But it was one of the strangest decisions. Like You see that like intentional safety every once in a while, depending on the situation. But a safety to make it a three-point game, I was just I was very surprised by it. Hmm. But uh, let's stay out in the Pac-12. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, not the Pac-12. North Carolina, Western Carolina. What did you think about this one? Uh, North Carolina and Miami are the exact same team. That is something I've realized is they are the exact same program at this point. Sam Howell and Derek King are just the engine that <laughs> keeps this thing moving. They blow out everyone they're supposed to blow out. They are not Clemson. They're not Notre Dame, but they're they're really good. And uh, they just play solid B-plus football. They're not a complete team. They're recruiting really well. Mac Brown and Manny Diaz have built the exact same team. Well, let's uh, stay with Manny Diaz. They uh, they did play a complete game against Duke, forty-eight zero. The end of the Dave Caldwell era, I think, at Duke. This seems like this is it. He's retiring at the end of this year. No, no, uh, no more. I uh, I could definitely see that, but it'll probably it'll probably decide on his terms. Wait, can I? I, I want to ask a question then. Like, what's that? What do you think is a worse job, Duke or Vanderbilt football? Because both will probably be open this this off season. What would you rather take? Um, I, I feel like the Nashville part of it, honestly, is like a factor in how good mm. of a job it is. Like living in Nashville as opposed to Durham, North Carolina. No disrespect to our listeners in Durham, North Carolina. But uh, that's a big factor. Being in the SEC almost like gives you like a at least exposure. You know, it's like it's like exposure getting beaten like six times, seven, eight times a year, like just getting the brakes beaten off of you, but uh, they're at least, they feel at least a little more relevant. Mm. Neither has a shot at winning a conference, but I guess if that's the, the end goal, Duke does have a better shot, but that's a good question. I, I feel like I would rather go to Vanderbilt, but in terms of winning more games, if like gun to your head, you have to win more games at this school in the next five years, I would say Duke, but um, I don't know. I guess it just depends on, Depends on who's giving you the money, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's probably Duke just because there are literally no expectations and you, it's just an easier conference to kind of get back to respectability. Remember, Duke yeah. was in the ACC title game not very That's long true. ago. Um, so I, I would say it's Duke. But um, like you said, the living in Nashville versus living in uh, uh, in Durham might be enough to sway me. So I don't know. I, I think it's probably Duke, though yeah i could see that and they i guess every every team in that division was in the uh is an ac championship at some point in the last like seven years true but um on a solemn note 
It doesn't bring me any pleasure to say this. The Marshall Thundering Herd. Uh, this is this was bad. This is undefeated I... season. No more. And in with a shutout. Ah, bad luck. And it was the first shutout since losing forty-two to nothing at Toledo in the two thousand seasons. Is that Chad Pennington or Byron Leftwich? Two thousand. I think that's Leftwich because. Okay. So weird reason I know this. I'm pretty sure I had Chad Pennington's rookie card, mm. and I'm almost positive it was 2000 was the year he was drafted. Okay, almost positive. So I think that may have been the Leftwich era. First time they were shut out at home since 1982 when Western Michigan did it, 34 nothing. Just wild. What an awful way to end. They're not, and they're you know what? now they're out of the CUSA title game. Oh, I didn't realize that. Like, this also cost them even just winning their championship. They're out of that, too. Wow. What This so, is like an all-time, nobody-cares-laying-of-an-egg game. And uh, I don't know. Just a bummer. What an awful way to go out. People are going to talk about this Marshall team years from now. Uh, oh, you know, that 2020 Marshall <laughs> team. You don't even know how good they were. They didn't, they didn't even make the conference championship. What are you talking about? Get, yeah. get, out, get out of here, crazy guy. Exactly. All right. Well, let's speed through the last couple. And uh, right. do you have any hit, final hit us, thoughts? Um, go with we, us. Hit us with a rapid fire. Notre Dame Let's 45, Syracuse 21. Culpepper has a pick and two fumbles for Syracuse. As Syracuse just uh, throws up all over themselves here. Um, we have... What else do we move? This is how you do rapid fire. I think because we moved around the stuff. Oh, okay, moved around everything. a little bit. Yeah, um, I, my me. notes are moved all around. So that's everything top 25. Is there anything? Because your team got postponed this week. Um, there were a lot of postponements. Northwestern didn't play. Um, obviously, Georgia Vanderbilt got moved. Um, no, uh, I guess maybe Arkansas with a crazy win against Mizzou. Do you have any any thoughts on that? Because that game was really weird, and I watched a lot of that. Oh yeah, that was a that was a great game. Um, we got to do something about this targeting. That's the first thing I think <laughs> when I think of this game. Like, oh, what's Nick Bolton? Like, mm. that's just a perfect hit. Like, you just rock somebody. There's a reason. There's a reason you don't run over the middle. You know, it's like it's dangerous. You could get rocked if you're a receiver running over the middle, and that's what happens. He led with his shoulder, like. Like hit to the chest, just rocked the dude. It's like a hard hit isn't a penalty. That's that's the first thing I, I thought of and thinking about that game. But um, yeah, a, a wild one for sure. I thought Arkansas, even that crazy two point conversion. I thought Arkansas was going to pull it out, going for two, going for the win. But uh, but Missouri was impressive. Uh, I think they called a mini mini Janikowski. I think is what they they call Missouri players call the kicker because mm. he's a. Uh, He's a he's a solid six one like two twenty, and it's not like Todd Gurley's six one two twenty. It's, it's uh, distributed a little bit differently. Texas Tech survives Kansas sixteen thirteen. I I just I don't even know what to make of this. I watched the Eurosecond of it, but Texas Tech only beating Kansas by three points is almost firing worthy for Matt Wells. Um, Texas like drops sixty nine on Kansas State sixty nine. Um, yeah, Kansas State's bad. Um, Nebraska gets a huge win for them. Uh, they beat Purdue on the road, 37-27. Uh, Penn State gets another victory over Rutgers, 23-7. to 
Uh, Virginia beats Boston College, 43-32. Georgia Tech loses. NC State now 8-3 and three after this uh, victory there. Um, Florida Atlantic loses to Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern, fun fact, 6-0 and at home this year, 1-4 uh, and four on the road. So they went 20-3. to three. Um, Like I mentioned about Colorado, they are undefeated at 4-0, and and they beat the Arizona Wildcats, who are 0-4 with someone there, uh, 24-13. Kentucky blows out South Carolina, 41-18. Uh, your Nevada Wolfpack beat the Fresno State Bulldogs, 37-26. Utah <laughs> Gets their first one of the season, 30-24 over the Oregon State Beavers. And last but not least, the UCLA Bruins beat Arizona State 25-18. Arizona State still winless. Um, so not a great start for Herm Edwards' squad. Um, Matt Green, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up here today? Um, I would like to confirm with our listeners that 2000 Marshall was Byron Leftwich. Oh, there Chad you go. Pennington was the quarterback on the 13 and 0 team in 1999. I my mind remembers weird things for whatever reason, but uh, but yeah, that's all I got, man. I like it. I like it. Well, go follow him at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Follow myself at Chase Double underscore Thomas. Go check out Chase Thomas Podcast dot com. Subscribe to our newsletter at Sports Renaissance Man dot Substack dot com. Uh, become a patron at Patreon dot com slash Chase Thomas Writer. And uh, if you're an Apple Podcast listener, don't forget to leave us a five star rating and a review. It helps for that guy. Down there in Tequila, Georgia, for myself, Chase Thomas, up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Matt, thank you so much, and we will talk soon. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.